The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, I guess. Good to see you. Good morning. Hello, hello. Good morning. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Mitra. Good to see you. Thank you. Hello there. Hi, Shauna. Welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon. Hello, Marianne. I love Zoom for the names. So it makes it much easier for me, right? I don't know about some people are really good at remembering names and I really struggle. So it's just such a joy to like, just have it right there. Be relaxed. (laughs) (sighs) Nice, everybody. Um, Nice to see everybody's, you know, here. It's just a nice way to start to see you all moving around live people. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, how's everybody? Maureen's answering, but she's muted. (laughs) No, now I'm not. (laughs) No, Maureen was. She was answering you, Jacqueline. Oh, I think I'm uh, here now and saying uh, I'm glad to be here. Beautiful. Beautiful. I just was curious, is there anybody who is joining us on Zoom for the first time today that hasn't joined us for a Zoom class so far? I I can't see everybody, so I don't know. But if so, welcome. Glad to have you here. All right. In a moment, I'm going to just share my screen and uh, clumsily pull up some, a few PowerPoint slides to go over sort of the schedule for today. So let's see. maybe, Maybe you can mute yourself now if you unmuted for the greetings. Yeah, so um, you have teaching today myself, Tanya Weiser, Chris Clifford, and David Lowry. Um, and other sessions will have Bruni Davila, Ying Chen, and Ori Uberstein. So just wanting to uh, acknowledge all the teachers that have helped and are helping pull this program together. So the welcome section is what we're doing now, and I'll go over the schedule right now. Chris is going to offer us a guided meditation. It'll be 20 minutes long. Then David will do our first uh, Dharma talk, introducing the topic for today, wise speech. And then then we'll do some breakout groups with a follow-up with group discussion Then we'll have a break around 2.20, and the chat will be open at that point. So if there are people here that you're wanting to connect with or chat with, um, Chris will open the chat at that time. After the break, we'll come back, and 
Um, I'm going to give a talk on wise speech and prepare us for practicing wise speech in breakout groups, um, followed by some more kind of feedback, Q&A reflections on how that's been and some final requ- uh, reflections before we close and dedicate the merit of our practice. So most of you are probably familiar with um, kind of the Zoom protocols, right? But we just, again, want to really invite you to take care of yourself during the class. You know, do what you need to do to make this a good experience for yourself and, of course, for others. And typically, one of the things that means is um, keep yourself muted unless you've been invited to share. Another thing is if you are moving from room to room, please turn your camera off while you're moving. Otherwise, um, it's sort of like going on a roller coaster ride with the re- for the rest of us. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see people. So if you're comfortable with your camera on, great. You may have Zoom fatigue and it's better for you to turn it off. That's fine. But when you're in a breakout session, or maybe even if you're asking a question or giving feedback, it'd be really nice to, to have you turn your camera on at that time. And then just in order to hear from the most number of people and uh, offer a broad variety of voices, we want to invite people to share and or ask questions that haven't spoken before, um, sort of giving a little bit of time and space for, for new voices to come forward. As I mentioned before, the group chat will be turned on during the break. If you have questions about what's presented or resources shared during the class, please feel free to send an email to the Eightfold Path at insightmeditationcenter.org or or this red um, email address here. And then if you need to communicate something to one of the teachers during the class, the Zoom chat feature is open for you to do so. So the path factor this month is moving us right into the ethical, like, daily life, worldly aspect of um, right speech. And so this is an exciting, to me, entry point into really bringing your practice into your daily life, into your world. Yeah. So the first uh, month was right view. Last month, we talked about right intention, which included the idea of renunciation, right? Um, Loving kindness, and harmlessness or compassion and harmlessness. Next month, we'll move into more aspects of, you know, our action, right action in the life and we lead in the daily life. So before we begin, um, Chris, would you like to just sort of bring us up to speed on um, where things are at, any announcements, things like that? My only announcement is just uh, those of you who signed up to be on the list of people who might want to arrange outside meetings. I hope you all got that list. The deadline to sign up was Thanksgiving, and we sent out the list earlier this week. So just a reminder that this session is highly relevant to those meetings. So just uh, please try to apply right speech when you meet, and uh, I hope you're able to arrange some, some ways to connect with each other and of course, we're here at the course address if you have any questions and concerns about that. Are there any questions about that right now? Just speak up. We've got four screens of people. I probably won't 
see hands. Okay, good. So, we can move into the guided meditation at this point. So groundedness, settledness, inner spaciousness, even maybe eventually inner silence, inner stillness is sort of the mother of right speech, very much a part of right speech, being able to be silent and letting wise intentions arise and give rise to wise speech. So during this session, we'll be focusing on grounding and settling in the body, especially bringing awareness to all that central core of our body that gives rise to speech. It's involved in the act of speaking. So just coming into your meditation posture, finding that intention to maintain a balance of physically relaxed and mentally awake and aware. Let's begin by touching the ground, where where your feet, where your feet are contacting the ground. See if you can let your attention, your awareness settle all the way down into really inhabiting your feet. Grounded. Being inside your feet, feeling all around all parts of your feet in contact with the ground. Being inside your ankles From within your ankles, you might be able to sense both your feet and your legs. And filling in your legs, feeling supported by your legs and their connection to the ground. And feeling this foundation of your pelvic floor in contact with your seat, your sits bones. Sensing as much as you can that whole area of contact and the support of your seat that is supported by the earth.
With this foundation, you can let your mental life rest. Let your emotional life rest. Above that, we have the support of the respiratory diaphragm. All three, three dimensions all through the center of the body, from side to side, from front to back. Letting yourself just rest on that foundational plane of the body. Letting your emotional life rest. Letting your mental life rest. Letting your voice rest. Sensing into deeply releasing that area. Each outbreath. It draws in each in-breath and releases each outbreath. Resting on that, we have the plane of the collarbones and the shoulder blades and the top of the chest, the top of the lungs. Just tuning into that plane of the body and letting that rest, letting the voice rest. Letting the neck and throat rest on that foundation. Releasing any tension that you feel in the throat and neck. Letting your arms rest.
And letting the foundation above that, the plane of the jaw and the back of the skull. Letting that area relax and release into the support below. Letting the tongue relax. Deep into the back of the tongue, which is connected all below. Letting your whole face relax. Coming up to the bottom of your eye sockets, the whole lower half of your eyes, letting your eyes relax and rest on that foundation, resting on all that's below. Notice maybe if your eyes are focused way out in front of you, see if you can relax and let them be back in the plane with the rest of your face relaxed. Not trying to see right now, not looking. And letting the top of the head relax. And opening again to all those areas Resting on your chair, resting on the earth. Letting all this inner activity and tension subside and feel supported, held, rested. with the natural movement of the breath.
In awareness, simply receiving the sensations, receiving the feelings. I found this on the web. Ah. Receiving, excuse me, receiving any thoughts that might cross your mind. Bringing in the flavors of wise intention, non-grasping, no need to grasp even at words and speech. Kindness. compassion. We'll just sit quietly for a few moments, a few minutes. And you might notice if inner speaking arises, inner words, What's the tone of that inner voice? Making space to receive whatever experiences arising for you with kindness. Non-grasping. And a return to stillness and groundedness. As it passes. Returning to the support of the contact with your chair, the contact with the floor. A sense of settling and releasing throughout the core of your body.
So as we come to the end of our meditation period, just reflecting for a moment, where, where would speech be arising from within? Can we be comfortable with patience, silence, stillness, allowing space for wise intentions to arise? give rise to wise speech. Letting our speech arise from intention rather than tension. And learning to listen to our own inner environment with this same kind, receptive, patient quality of listening that's so much a part of wise speech. Okay, and we're very happy to have David with us today. David Laurie, welcome, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Chris and Tanya. And let me add my begin by just adding my welcome to Chris and Tanya's and in absentia to Yang's and Bruni's and Uri's as well. Um, it's great to be among great teachers and uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with Chris and, and Tanya, teachers of mine, good, good Dharma friends of mine. Um, I love the way Chris began this guided meditation with the feet. You may know versions of this that start with the head. And uh, it just reminds me in a way that I'd like to begin talking about wise speech by jumping in feet first, by by grounding ourselves a little bit in um, the sort of deep underpinnings of the wise speech practice and uh, have a couple ways to do that. You know, as I started to think about what I might say, I just reflected on I'm kind of jumping in in the middle here. And uh, so I just want to make sure I, I sort of gather the, uh, the, the gather good intentions around this and begin there with the feet on the floor. And I like this idea, which you may have heard that as much as the Eightfold Path is a, is a path to somewhere, to a destination, it's a way of being here right now. That um, it's like the English word way. And if you're a student of, of Gil Franz Stahl's, you pay close attention to language, including English. 
way in English is a, is a, we, we can, we know the way somewhere, the way to the store. Um, and we know the way to show up, the way to be here, the way to meet experience. And one of the witticisms that makes its rounds in the insight, mindfulness, Vipassana uh, practice scene is the, is this, that the, in this practice, the most direct way, the most direct route from point A to point B is to be thoroughly at point A. That's how you get to be, is to be here. I want to sort of talk about a different way of thinking about this today. It's the same idea, but something I like about it when I bring attention to the wise speech practice is the idea that in this practice, and it's true of all the Eightfold Path Factor practices, the means are the end. In other words, when we adopt wise speech, we practice wise speech, it's freeing. That is, when we bring mindful attention to speech, when we notice, oh, here's wise, here's unwise, here's how it feels, here's how it hurts, here's how it lightens, um, we become freer, we become less reactive, we become less caught up in the sorts of um, habitual responses that typically have become reflexive for us, that seem almost hardwired sometimes. And the flip side of this is that as we deepen our practice, as we connect with wise view, wise intention, um, our speech becomes less misleading, less divisive, less harsh, less trivial, and frequently just less. We find we, 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 we need fewer words to say what's on our hearts. Um, so when we find that the mind's freer, the heart's more open, and wise speech flows easily, uh, flows almost naturally from us. You get to a certain point where you're really free, and wise speech just happens naturally. And to illustrate this, um, I just want to just want to show, just so you know, I like to say sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, just so you know, we're not making this up. Sounds good. Sounds true. Um, this, this, this way of seeing this is really rooted in the, the deep sort of bedrock of the practice and can be found uh, in the ancient texts from the Pali Canon that uh, inform the insight, mindfulness, Vipassana traditions, lineages, schools. This is a brief, brief passage. I just am only going to focus on two words in it from the Samyutta Nikaya, one of the collections of discourses. Uh, uh, and very commonly when, sorry to keep going back and forth, but I, before I get into that, I want to not get distracted with that. One of the things that's really common uh, about the Eightfold Path as it's mentioned in ancient texts is it's usually just the list of them. Wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise samadhi. They're not explained very much. And in the passages they are explained, we tend to go there and go, oh, we can see how, how it was meant to all fit together. Sorry, last time back to this, and I won't flip back and forth anymore. And something that I think is going to be mentioned later today is this notion that um, wise speech emanates from wise intention. The thing that really strikes me about these passages where we can see these things linked is simply that they say 
for one of right view, right intention springs up. For one of right intention, right speech springs up. For one of right speech, right action springs up. And, and so on. To me, the two words that are most fascinating here are simply springs up. This implies that we're, we don't have to practice this so much as let it happen and know it when it's happening. And I'm going to say a little bit more about how to practice with that aspect of it. And the other thing that's really fascinating here is that it, it implies, the, it, 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 it reinforces the importance of wise view. When we really start living wise view, when we take it into our lives and practice it, it transforms everything about our lives and we can't really make it not. When we, when we enter this practice deeply, it will, it will change our speech. It will change our actions. It will change the way we relate to larger markets, that is, in, in wise livelihood, as we'll see going forward. A second passage and a way to answer a really, to me, significant question is, well, why would this be so? Why does adopting wise view, why does kind of investing one's energies and wise intention, why does it have this trans- transformative impact? Why does it affect speech in particular? And here's something that's just always got to be kept in mind that I think um, helps us understand this. Principled speech, sort of a concept similar to wise speech in the text, uh, is found among those who teach principles for giving up greed, hate, and delusion. This path, the Eightfold Path, here just listed, like I said, is so typical is a way of giving up greed, hate, and delusion. So the important thing about this seems to me, and the exciting thing, um, is why speech flows naturally from wise intention, something that I think uh, may be addressed later today. And so I'm not gonna say very much about it right here. We can return to it if, if it's interesting. Um, but the, when, um, that when, when our speech is wise, what that means is that it's free of wanting, of aversion, and particularly of the, our self-obsession, our delusion with a self. So this is the theory, the big picture. <laughs> um, we could go on and on about this. It's kind of fascinating, but I think it's, it's just, uh, as we'll see when I talk a little bit about how to practice with it, one of the key things we're practicing with is watching for freedom happening or watching for our suffering showing up as they appear in wise or unwise speech. So it seems to me this is a really, uh, this is a really important guide to practice. And I said I'd talk just a little bit about how to, how to practice in daily life. <clears throat> but also how to practice in meditation. The Eightfold Path, as those of you who studied with me previously, and I see a couple familiar faces, you've probably heard me say this previously. Um, it's easy to think of these as all day, daily life practices, but a lot of the function of this practice is to deepen our meditation and make it possible to make maximum use of what happens, what becomes available in the mind that's still in meditation. I I don't know if everybody heard it, but during Chris's wonderful guided to begin to settle us in, I heard series, one of series, many voices tell me that uh, I've found something on the web 
as Siri will periodically do. I don't know if others heard that. Uh, maybe it's just in my head. Um, but I was still enough that there were little reverberations, little little bit of turbulence on the on the still water of the pond that was starting to develop up there. That's that's important in meditation. When we can see things with a little bit more precision, we can notice, oh man, that's a little jarring, or oh, I love Siri's voice, or oh, is it talking to me? Is it my phone? Is everybody disturbed on account of me, 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 me? All those kinds of things we can become aware of when it's dropped into that still place in meditation. So the Eightfold Path, to the extent it's a series of things, it culminates in meditation in the sense that to the extent we adopt wise view, um, we know that at the end of this path, what emanates is a meditation that is clear and valuable and allows us to see clearly. So how, do, how might we practice wise speech in daily life first and then in meditation? Um, I, I heard, I overheard, I don't know whom I heard this from. It might've been Yang herself that last time Ying made this connection between <clears throat> um, sort of stepping into wise intention, wise consideration, wise thought, wise resolve, uh, some kappa, um, and that, it, that, that there was this echo in the walking meditation practice, that walking is the first way we sort of move with wise view into moving the body around and sort of action in the world, right? Wise speech and I need to, I'm going to talk with Ying about this, I hope maybe next week. But why speech is a little bit like talking the walk. That is taking this next step forward to what's it like to take some of that wise view and bring it into interaction in the most fundamental way that we communicate with people. Um, So Tanya is going to give some more detail later about kind of some of the things that come down to us by ways of practicing specifically with certain aspects of wise speech. But I want to just say that the essential practice, I think, goes back to that um, passage from the discourse, that the essential practice is to observe carefully, mindfully, honestly, when and how wise and unwise speech arise. And particularly notice how they feel in the heart and mind, how they affect ourselves and others. And mostly we just observe this without judgment. It's much like the meditation where we're kind of going, oh, there's some wise speech happening. There's some unwise speech happening. How does it feel? Is it free? Is it unfree? Is it wholesome? Does it emanate from an unwholesome place in the mind? In particular, does it express, is it an expression of wanting, aversion, delusion? One of the signal beauties of this practice, and in a sense, maybe what it's all about expressed in the mindful, uh, the uh, wise speech is that when we really understand and see clearly the way that our suffering, our own individual suffering enters our speech, we really recognize it, acknowledge it, show up for it, hold it. Um, our speech becomes wiser. Or we could say, building on that first sutta passage, it becomes more likely we're, we're making it easier for it to just kind of rise. What was it spring up? We just make it possible for wise speech to spring up. <laughs> How lovely. But notice that what we're doing is engaging with suffering. Wise view, right? First noble truth. Oh, there's suffering happening. Here's freedom happening. And here's its expression in speech. 
So I think one of them, um, one could talk about this a long time. What I would draw people's attention to is the importance of noticing wise speech happening. It's really easy to notice when we've screwed up. It's really easy to hit ourselves over the head one more time. And ah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> you know, sometimes we miss the opportunity to notice wise speech. And I'll just remind you, and we'll practice it in the breakout sections that when you're aware of mind speech happening, there's freedom happening. Something got let go of. There's some wanting that slipped away. There's some aversion that's reduced. There's some constant preoccupation with the self, me, mine. What, what, what is it about me? What do I need to do? That's attenuated. So when you feel wise speech, you're in the presence of what this path is about. Some freedom happening, just a little bit, maybe. Maybe it's a lot. But it's so easy to miss when we're just like always like, ah, dang, you know, man. Did it, said it again, put my foot in my mouth again, back to Chris's metaphor of beginning with our feet. You know, here we can focus a little bit on wise speech. Sometimes it's lost in uh, our work in the path, but I like to just remember sometimes when things are hard um, that this is a path of not really about suffering. It's a path about freedom. So it's, it's worth paying attention to freedom when it's happening. And we could so easy to see in wise speech. So just, just a reminder. This idea of being really reflective about our wise speech also has um, deep roots in our practice. And I'll just give you one little idea. We, we all, the teachers here, probably others are here are aware of the famous uh, advice that the Buddha gives his son, Rahula in a text that's found at Majjhima Nikaya 61, should anybody want to check it out. And he, using the, um, the metaphor of a mirror, suggests that it's useful to reflect before action and speech, during it, and after it. And just notice how it felt. Did it cause harm? Did it, int- did it tend toward harm? And just be really um, mindful and sort of open about what's really, what's really going on in experience. And this has provided for us, I think, a really nice little acronym for practicing in daily life, uh, which is simply the acronym WAIT, W-A-I-T, which stands for, why am I talking? There's no better advice, no better way, I think, to enter wise speech in a general way than to ask oneself, why, what's this urge for talking about that's coming up that I feel? Um, Why am I currently engaged in speech? And, and wh- wh- why was I maybe just talking so much? Right now I'm talking a lot because I was invited to, but I'm feeling like I'm talking a lot. I can't wait to get to the breakout groups and give you a chance to talk um, soon, soon. And um, I think I can, if I've, I think there's time to give you um, just a specific example of this. You know, this seems a little bit theoretical, what I've said so far, but Here's an example, daily life example. In my notes, I just have a thing that says example. So I'm just drawing from something that happened uh, shortly before this call. I called my mom. I do that sometimes. Uh, She's elderly and I try to give her some company on the weekends and particularly now it's hard. I could tell when she said, hi, David, that she was crying. And uh, I just watched carefully what came up. And, you know, there's a little bit of panic uh, about 
my mom crying and I'd actually called to tell her something and so, you know, some things meet the moment. And, uh, but I just, I felt my, I, what I heard myself saying was you're crying. <laughs> then she broke it. Then she cried a lot. And I had some feelings of, Oh, you know, I, this is a problem to solve. How do I stop this? And, Oh, I thought I could, I could, um, reassure her that it's okay and this won't probably happen and uh, it's going to be all right. And, and I was like, I also want some maternal attention. I was calling, I have a problem. And um, none, none of that happened. I, I, instead I've heard myself say, um, that is sad. I said that, that, that really is sad. What you're saying, what you're telling me about, that's sad. And as I said that, I had this sense of lightness. I was like, oh, somehow the sense of it's, I'm the son here and I need some attention and some sense that here's a problem to be solved. They, they, I don't know why exactly. They just kind of weren't there. There's just the recognition. Oh, okay. In about five words, there was a little bit of freedom happening, you know, and I'll call her tomorrow <laughs> and ask her if she could listen to me for a little bit, you know, let me cry on her shoulder. I think that's an example of just not much actually said, a lot of space. Um, I felt really light around it. There was a lot of lightness around the heart, a lot of openness, um, you know, on to the next moment. Anyway, that's sort of an example that comes to mind. Uh, and hopefully that gives a little bit of real feel for what I'm talking about. So, that's a daily life approach. Let me just talk a little bit about med, uh, how to, wise speech and meditation, and then and then we'll do some breakout groups. Um, Chris, at the very end, when we came back, she sort of mentioned, you know, just the attentiveness that we can bring to the voices uh, that we use in meditation to guide and um, guide and and track and frequently judge our own experience. And this is a super valuable uh, way to bring wise speech sort of into the meditation and sort of in a way with a little bit more active engagement, practice it. Um, but yeah, asking what voices show up. I sometimes ask whose voice is that anyway? Where did that come from? You know, voices are internal and many of them are internalized. They come from elsewhere. But are they kind? Is it a gentle voice? Uh, is it supported? How does it feel when it lands? We're just checking in and noticing this again. We're just going, is it wise? Is it unwise? We're not, we don't have to push it away. We need it there. That's information about how the mind is, how free it is. Um, and the um, most readily available test case of this, you're all, <laughs> I hope going to laugh at this, but is to, just notice the voice with which we move our attention back over and over again to the breath. How kind is it? How gentle is it? How frequently are we like, oh man, I'm si it's been 15 minutes since I really checked back in with the breath. I'm an idiot. This is no good. I'm, I never get this. It's just like this again and again. We've all been there, I suspect. Maybe I can't see all 90, uh, all 100 of us. There may be some people shaking their heads, but it's a very common experience, if not universal that even in the voice we use to guide our meditation, there's, there's all of this. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of wanting aversion and delusion going on. 
And we can just notice how it feels and then return to the breath. We don't have to do anything else in this practice. We don't have to correct it. We don't have to make any big change. We really just need to bring mindful, unjudgmental attention to the, the, um, the, uh, whether it's wise or unwise. And one of the lovely things about this is there's many opportunities to practice with this. I also love it because it's a little thing. Start little with these practices. Don't go to the biggest, most problematic, most triggering speech you can think of, both internal, either internal or external. Start with the way you direct attention back to the breath, with the next text you write, the next conversation with a family member or friend. Start little. Then take on, you know, the political arena. Uh, So just to sum up, Another thing I love is to have a little sense of humor about it when you're doing this. You know, it's, it's hilarious. The same voices come up again and again, and it's very helpful to say, oh, there's that voice again. It's just this voice again. It's just some suffering happening again. It isn't a big deal. And just sort of get some lightness around it can help. Um, we do it a lot. As we create new habits and let uh, other habits go, we, we, we do it again and again and again. That's how... That's partially how the mind is, um, uh, is brought to a place of greater openness and freedom. I like to have a sense of gratitude toward my mind. It may sound silly, but my mind will come up with some solution. And I'm like, thanks. You know, that, it's an idiotic suggestion. It would be really uh, harmful to engage in that kind of speech. But I appreciate the thought. I appreciate that the mind is helping me try to problem solve. It's generating solutions for what it takes to be this problem. Great. Appreciate it. I'm heading back to the breath. See you in, see in half an hour. You know, you can, even there, there's a gentler, kinder, more lighter held um, voice happening. And you can, you can um, m- bring some sense of humor into it and that'll help bring some lightness into it. So to wrap up, and I have just a couple minutes here. Um, so ends and means again, when we know that wise speech is happening, we know that freedom's happening. And we know that the place we're going is also how, we're, how we get there. Slowly, gradually, um, some of the unskillful thought patterns that emanate in wise speech from which, I'm sorry, unwise speech springs up, they'll just, they start to fall away. And um, some of the more productive, more creative, more generative sorts of um, responses arise uh, spring up in their place. And I like to think that the Eightfold Path is here working in two sort of mutually reinforcing modes. One is um, we could call deconstructive. We're giving up unwise speech back to wise intention. We're renouncing wise speech. We're letting wise speech go. I'm sorry, unwise speech. Fill in the blanks. If I said unwise and it was obviously not what I meant, flip it. We're letting unwise speech go, renouncing it, letting old, unhealth, unskillful habits of, of uh, speech unravel. <clears throat> but it's also constructive. It's not just that we're giving uh, unwise speech up. <clears throat> we're also giving it, we're replacing it in a way with a gift to ourselves of showing up for our suffering, showing up for our freedom, um, finding our own voices, and speaking from the heart. 
So let's go to breakout groups. Um, and I believe that behind the scenes, uh, one of us has, has created a bunch of breakout groups and uh, we're pretty much ready to go. But here's the, here's the thing. Just a second. Just, yeah. um, if, just to ask anybody who's not going to stay for the breakout group, it would be really helpful if they signed off now because it messes with the Zoom sign up. So while you're giving instructions, if anybody doesn't want to stay and participate in the breakout groups, pre please sign out now and you'll be able to come back and listen to the recorded talks later for what you miss. Thanks, David. Sorry. Okay. Good idea. Nice. I can see that that solves some problems. Yeah. So this is what I'd like to, you to do in about, it looks like uh, 20 minutes of breakout group. Am I right about that? Yeah. I'm looking at yet another document here. Um, so what I'd like you to do is something that follows what Chris has guided, um, I think will fit in nicely with what's coming later in the afternoon. And it's to each in turn, um, share an example of when you practice, when you engaged in some wise speech. And this could be as simple as last time you were meditating, the way you brought the attention back to the breath or something that's developing there with time. Um, two questions. One is, you know, yeah, what's the, give an example of some wise speech that happened. And the second one is, how did you know it was wise? In other words, how did it feel? How were you sure that it was wise speech? Because typically that means, I mean, feel typically not in the sense of emotion, but bodily sensation that gives you the cue that, oh, something's lighter, something's let go, something's freer, at least for this little moment, from which wise, wise speech has sprung up. You might go sort of popcorn style, go in a circle if there's three or whatever, uh, you know, go, go, go back and forth at any rate or around and just um, sort of uh, give one example and then quickly move on to the next person. This is largely an exercise in wise listening. Just know, noticing too what it's like to hear somebody else hold another practitioner to the experience of, of freedom and be there for that, you know, so yeah, let's do that for 20 minutes. I don't think you'll get bored. I think you can go around and around and there will be a lot of different things that come up and watch carefully for what happens in the discussion. I see Tanya's finger up and just notice, uh, even if in the process of this, as you recount things and as you talk about something kind of intimate about maybe some freedom happening or some not being sure or whatever, notice there too, maybe apply that weight thing. Why am I talking? Why do I want to talk? Great. Yeah. So the, the time in the small group is actually 10 minutes and then there'll be whatever minutes are left when we come back before the break to share reflections. Okay. I didn't know that. So 10 minutes. So yeah, even more reason to sort of very briefly touch on something, you know, each time you touch the, 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 the voice in the space and then, and then pass it along. All right. Enjoy, enjoy, take it lightly. All right. I feel like everybody is back. Okay. So what we'd like to do now is sort of open it up and see what came up in the groups and, you know, just what, what are on, what's on people's hearts. Uh, you know, anything that's interesting to share, anything where you ran into, you know, uh, where you ran into yourself <laughs> or, uh, you know, where interesting things came up. And we'd like to do kind of a, a hybrid mode to make the best use of time, which is, go ahead and just unmute and speak up or 
put up a blue hand. I can see the blue hands here on the right. Uh, and you know, if, if that's easy, go do that, go ahead and do that. And if not, feel free to just um, speak up, ask a question. And I guess I'd be curious to sort of know how was that for you? What came up? Um, was it easy? Is it hard? Is it hard to figure out how you know how to how to distinguish between wise and unwise action in speech and the like? What comes up? I have a question, David. My name's Laura. I have a question. Thank you for your uh, talk. So I. Um, so I do have a daily practice, and uh, my daily practice is uh, I'm also in an ACA 12-step program. So my daily practice is to reparent myself and to take all of my parts into my meditation and my uh, take them to, like, my higher power, my loving parent, my adult, my critical parent, these parts of me. And we all talk, and I receive... Uh, so much loving kindness from my loving parent who, and so I have some, uh, I am curious about when you talk about uh, that to me is all about wise speech and mm-hmm. loving myself and feel, what is it when you refer to going back to the breath and is that a different, uh, does that take you to like, for me, you know, it's like a, singing or touching my hair and I love you and yeah yeah is that a different space than I hear so much here you use the word voice thoughts and breath so can you clarify some of that please I can try um (laughs) but I appreciate your beautiful sharing uh really really lovely uh and thanks thanks for sharing those things yeah I think um I mean, first, I would just clarify about the breath. We, you know, we say this phrase a lot in this uh, in this scene, which is, you know, return to the breath, go back to the breath. And these are indeed metaphors. We, we, we talk about the attention wandering away from the breath. You know, the mind doesn't go anywhere. That's just a useful way to kind of understand what's happening. And, you know, in a way, it's um, in, as you describe it, there may be sort of more of an opening up to just being being aware of sort of the breath among other things that are going on and the kindness you speak of that's happening. That seems like it's part of when presence is there, there's a sense of kindness, a sense of open heartedness. That's, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And that is, I think very much the same, this same practice to um, notice it when that's happening. And when there's real kindness there, when something's really been let go of, you, you really feel it, uh, you know. And uh, so being there for that experience is super important. And I think you make a really important point that um, regardless of the, the frame of reference, a reparenting frame or a particular, you know, given different people's individual personal histories and the like, um, that there is a rebalancing that's going on there that we are we are balancing the showing up for our experience and holding it with kindness against frequently long lifetimes of ignoring our experience you know hanging on to certain experience as me mine and uh in general um you know engaging in uh unskillful action that that flow from that grasping on or that pushing away 
So a couple of people have raised hands. Um, oops, and some people have then raised them and taken down their hands, but I will go with Jess. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you for, for this group in general. But um, specifically, I wanted to say, David, that I appreciated um, very much hearing you say um, kind of rather than prescriptively fixating on what can be wise speech and how can I say what I want to say in a wise way to just pay attention to what arises when you speak and then you can know was this wise or was this not wise and um, more just of a paying attention and letting you know over time letting that observation guide what comes out and um, I think just anything that doesn't add anxiety of, am I doing this right? Am I not doing this right? Um, is valuable to add to the toolkit. So I, I just wanted to say, I appreciated that approach. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's super important. And it's a way too, that we sort of free our practice a little bit from, you know, a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts and minefields here and this and that. Um, and it's interesting. We can say practice wise speech. You can almost, um, Sometimes, sometimes that's a useful reminder to oneself. But I like the idea that when we mindfully show up for what speech is bringing forth from us, then we come, we can get closer quicker sometimes to, oh, there's hurt here, there's fear here, there's loneliness here, anxiousness, anxiety, loss, grief, anger. Then we're, then we're, you know, closer to our heart. <laughs> uh, and when we're in that presence, we're, we're in a much safer place to let speech happen. Because then, then we're kind of, you know, we're, we're in the truer place. So anyway, I think you're right. Let, letting some of the, you know, lightening up around the practice, all these practices can be really, um, you know, an important way of, of practicing, important attitude. So um, several hands up and uh, a few minutes more. Uh, Conrad. Thanks, David. I think one of the benefits outside of feeling free for me with wise speech the last few years has been um, actually making others feel safe. Because when I have found in my experience, when I am not reactive and open, uh, they, if they're coming at me with aggression or what have you, it, it's kind of like a emotional Kung Fu. And then they're like, Oh, I don't know how to react anymore. And Oh, now I'm sharing my secrets with you about how I really feel. And, Oh, I wasn't expecting this. And so you giving the gift of safety has been a, a blessing because it changes the whole conversation to one of either healing or concord. And I feel like that's been a great benefit in my life. Nice. I appreciate that. And the, and the martial arts metaphor. And there are people who talk about the way in which wise speech is akin to, akin to Aikido among the martial arts that Aikido with its focus on sort of meeting the energy of the other or another, and then um, meeting it with, you know, very finely attuned knowledge of one's own energetic presence is a way, you know, to neither deflect nor bring close, but to really be, you know, in close presence and interaction with someone. So I think, I think your comment really points to that. Thank you for that. I welcome Chris and Tanya to jump in too. I'm, I'm just, yeah, people are addressing questions to me, but I don't, I don't, you guys know these answers as much as I do. Kevin. Hi, David. Um, 
I just wanted to uh, say thanks for talking about bringing humor into the practice because I tend to be so serious when I'm meditating and I, I just look forward to incorporating that into my practice in the future. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think people who've practiced these things for a long time find the humor to be completely necessary. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes seriousness has its place too, but the, the humor really is important, um, helps us lighten up. And the lightening up is, in a way, essentially where we're heading. Uh, and, and it really does, it really is part of the path. And, you know, it's funny, you hang around with people who meditate all the time, including some of the practitioners here and uh, monks. It's not a serious, dour group of people. It tends to be a lot of humor, a lot of joy, a lot of, a lot of play, you know, a lot of um, real uh, presence in life. Uh, including, you know, the, the humor. How about Randy? I think we have time for maybe two more. So Randy. Yeah. Thanks so much. You know, in our group, one of the things that came out at the end was also the appreciation that right speech isn't just a concept, but that we should be looking at our own body reaction and looking at the reaction of the other person. That is, kind of going along with right view, part of our our skill is to be able to observe the world so that we see the consequence of our action. And I think in the example I gave within the group, it was very clear that not only did what I say in a very difficult situation feel right, but I also observed that it had a, a reaction from the receiver that was, I think, useful for that person in a way that that led me to further believe that I had kind of said the right thing, or at least as close as I could in the difficult situation. Yeah. You know, this is a great, great comment. And it may be that we'll need to uh, end with just a couple of reflections on this, but I think because it's really important, it's uh, it's worth spending just a minute on. Um, and so I apologize to the few other couple other hands that have come up and uh, perhaps there'll be a time later today to, to get to those good questions. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how attentive or how useful it is to, and really part of our, part of the work in the path to be attentive to the, to the impacts of our speech. And I believe that's something that will be addressed in the session this afternoon. It's interesting to notice though, that, um, sometimes a, a harmful impact can come from speech that that is generated from pretty clear mm -hmm. and open places. Mm -hmm. And other times we discover when we pay a little bit more attention, when we reflect back on that speech, we say, oh, hidden in here, what I thought was well-intentioned speech. I was actually, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, I'm anxious. In either case, as you're saying, Randy, we notice the impact. And here's the really important thing. We notice the impact. And then we're in that moment. We're no mm -hmm. longer in that previous moment. And then say we notice it caused hurt. If we're really there, we go, ow. We're like, oh. And we don't have to say we're sorry. Maybe that fits sometimes. But we can. We just meet the next moment with as much wisdom, as much wise intention, uh, as much open heart as we can muster then. And, you know, if it's not very much, sometimes we're maybe quieter. That's the wise speech practice moment to moment. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really important comment. So I wanted to get that in. I apologize for not going to a couple other questions. And again, uh, hopefully we can uh, get to them later today. Thanks. 
Okay, so we're going to have. I realize. <laughs> okay, sorry. You <laughs> say that I'm tired of talking. Ten-minute bio break now, and uh, the chat will be open for everyone to chat with everyone. Be careful who you're addressing your chats to. It's possible to go to everyone or to someone privately. And uh, David, you were going to chat post the Sutta references that you had earlier. I'll find those right now and, ch- and post them in just a okay, minute. Okay, we'll see you in about eight minutes. So people are people are coming back, and I'll go ahead and get started. Um, you know, speech is um, there's a lot to say, <laughs> and a lot maybe they shouldn't be said too, right? But um, you know, it's one of the things that's fascinating about it is it's kind of this um, it's this intersection, this place between inner and outer world, right? And this place where what's happening inside of us gets brought into the outer world. So Chris said something else in her guided meditation about you know the mother of wise speech, right? Being grounded right? The feet that David, you know, referenced, you know, that having our minds in a good place, right? Um, Being in our bodies, being here is more likely to have us um, give birth to uh, speech that is supportive, helpful, useful, and kind. If, um, you know, if we don't, if we don't decide um, what we're going to say, then often what happens is automatic pilot comes into play, and that usually involves the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion. So, you know, it's a lot to think about aiming our mind, right? Thinking about sort of how to stay connected and grounded. But our communication is so powerful. Um, it's a transmission, right? We're transmitting through language. We're taking what we're experiencing and feeling and converting it into words and expressing them, right? And it goes into your body, into your mind, and it's processed, and then there's an impact. And so this is the other part that was mentioned in the end there, the consequences of of what we say. There's there are intention and then there's the impact of what we say, of how we show up. And both are really important. But once we've spoken with our intention, what then becomes the new now is the impact of what's what's been shared. And so we want to show up for that now and notice Right. Notice and receive the feedback that we we will get in our own bodies, as well as maybe in the bodies, faces, words or other uh, responses from people. Um, there's this, you know, David talked about the tone, right, paying attention to the tone of your voice in, internally, right, inner voice. And that's true, obviously, with the outer voice. And, you know, I could go through, and I was going to, but I'm not sure how much I will do this, all the aspects of what is involved in right speech. Because I think, you know, I'll touch on it, but 
you know, really what we want is to sort of get into the experience of speaking, get into the experience of hearing, listening, both to the impact internally as well as to the impact externally. So in the suttas, very often um, speech is first defined as what wrong speech is. Right. And that is essentially so this is this is knowledge, wisdom that I'm going to give you. See if you can feel like the wisdom in your body, the representation, a word represents an experience. So don't just let these wrong speech definitions stay cognitive. See if you can kind of feel a connection to to what, what it is to have this experience. So wrong speech is defined as speech that is false. So it just it probably doesn't take too long these days to, to imagine an experience of hearing false speech. And just, just acknowledge that, feel that, right? Divisive, dividing, separating. Speech that's abusive, right? Unkind, harsh. Speech that's said at the wrong time. And that's probably easier to think about from the perspective of when somebody speaks to you at the wrong time. Right? What happens when somebody asks you something or tells you something when you're not in the space to receive it? And what happens when you, you know, are asked in a time and space when you are ready, when you feel available, capable of responding? Timing is incredibly important. Really, really important. Yeah. Let's see. So right speech would be speech that is timely. So again, thinking about, yeah, set in a time and a space where someone can hear it and you're able to hear it, right? Speech that is truthful. Like really speaking what is true and what this is a this is a big um, this is a big one and don't overthink it because if we think we can only speak what is true we might think that we have to proclaim things right or we can't say anything but we can say oh, my perception my experience of this. What I'm noticing, my view on this is. So we're speaking a truth while we're owning that it's it's personal and it's not capital T truth, right? But truthful, right? Coming from true place. It's wanting the words to be gentle, right? Um, beneficial. Spoken in true friendliness. Yeah.
the I want to say just another word or two about um, the value of speaking the truth. One of the things that really struck me when I first started to read Biko Bodhi's book and I was reading about wise speech, there's a passage in that book, the Full Path book, that he says that if someone lies, they cannot be enlightened. They cannot be free. That's a, you know, it's, he doesn't just say that anywhere. That is said specifically in relationship to truth. And what are the implications of that? You know, and, and, and how can we sort of take this idea that, you know, the practice is about being real and with what is happening, right? Not trying to make things different than they are, right? Trying to bring goodness to our experience. But truth is really important. And, and you know, this is whatever we speak, whenever we share, there's the deep possibility we leave a trace in somebody else, that we leave an impact, an imprint, that what we've shared somehow goes into this storage house of information and it is there and it can be accessed at other times, right? That we are, we are leaving a trace of ourselves, of our views. And when we leave something inside that is um, untruthful, when we touch somebody with an, an untruth, it can create an internal conflict. It can create a conflict with what one person might know and another person might not. Now, in one of the first classes, I talked about um, right view, right? And right view is about sort of, you know, not holding to fixed views, right? And right view is about noticing suffering and stopping for it. I stop for suffering. And so in the Four Noble Truths, right, is part of this right view, understanding that there's a way, there's a way forward, a way toward more and more freedom. And I mentioned that one of the things that happened for me in my life was that my ex-partner and I had made a commitment and we had a, our commitment was actually to worded in such a way that it was like, until it wasn't working for us, right. Until that we decided that we didn't want to be together anymore. And I had then assumed from that commitment that it wouldn't really be possible. I had a fixed view that it wouldn't be possible then for my partner to have an affair. So what happened inside of me was I had a belief, right, that my partner wouldn't have an affair. And then when my partner was having an affair, it created a tension internally, right? This intention internally, just I could not find the truth, right? And then when I thought and asked her if she was having an affair, she said no, but she was, right? So you see how twisted up we can get around holding to fixed views and lying and not being able to be kind of clear. And it really, we really impact each other deeply in these ways. It took a lot of healing for me to reconnect with a sense of my own intuitive knowing, right? It took work to kind of come out of that. So truth is really, really valuable. 
All right. So where am I for time? Okay. So let's see here. Yeah. So David, I want to kind of talk about another piece. Um, David used the acronym WAIT, which I love, right? Why am I speaking? A lot of times we might be speaking and we lose, you know, some connection with the purpose of why we're speaking. Maybe we knew why we were in the beginning and then we kind of get lost along the way. Or we're just speaking, right, from a place of wanting to affect what's happening or get something or, you know, this is where we want to pay attention to greed, hatred, delusion, right, creating a self. So it's good to wait, good to check in. Really, really, really important. So I don't want to in any way sort of contradict that. But I do want to bring up another point, which is I'll call WAINT, W-A-I-N-T, WAINT. (laughs) Why am I not speaking? Why am I not speaking? So, you know, what happens when things are left out? or things aren't said, how is that not truthful too? How is that leaving a trace in somebody when we don't acknowledge them or what they're saying or what they're doing, right? Or we leave a whole group of people out of a conversation or we just assume that we all have a shared understanding, right? Or what about in a situation when something is said that was harmful and you knew it, but you didn't say anything? Why am I not speaking in those moments? Why am I not speaking? And sometimes I feel like there's so much collective delusion about certain things that we don't even recognize when something that is so untrue, so unkind, so unhelpful, that is being held as a consciousness in our society, isn't being really acknowledged. And I'll, I'll share a moment of that for me, where I, I see the collective, a larger percentage, let me say, of the collective consciousness sort of going, wait, why am I not speaking here? Why, why, wait, what, something happened here. Right. So my guess is you're starting to maybe think about what might I be talking about and that maybe you're you're sort of piecing this together. But George Floyd. Right. That was a moment where collectively so many people all of a sudden saw something that many, many people have been screaming and crying and and, you know, in torture about for years, which is, you know, the unhumane treatment and the unnecessary, horrible killing disproportionately, particularly of black men, right? Black bodies, right? To me, that's, that's an example of how a collective disconnection, a collective delusion can help blind us from really seeing things for some of us, not all of us, some of us, right? So if we want to take wise speech 
and and include sort of um, broaden it to think about how to be more socially conscious. We can think about, you know, how are things about gender, race, etc., gender identity, kind of shared collectively. How are they communicated in a repetitive kind of way where we might mindlessly almost accept them, right? And we might ask, is it time to wait? (laughs) You know, is it time to like maybe say something? Yeah. So time check again. All right. So I've got four minutes left. So What I want to focus on now is giving you some really simple, hopefully, instructions for practicing wise speech. And I want to give you a good amount of time to talk in a a breakout group. Um, So one of the things I want to inspire you um, to do, and shortly I'll ask people who aren't going to stay in the breakout rooms to sign off again, right? So... Um, But if you have any inclination to practice, right, please stay. Please go into the breakout rooms. And such a great opportunity to practice mindfulness of speaking. So this is going to be a listening and a speaking exercise, which are both needed. They're two sides, right, of the same thing. We've got to be listened to for speech to touch, to be heard, to be manifested. So when you're the one speaking, and what I'll do is ask you to speak one at a time in the beginning. Rumi says, since in order to speak, one must first listen, learn to speak by listening. So listen to yourself. Listen carefully to the tone of your voice internally and as it comes into the world. And then listen by watching for the impact of your speech on others and yourself, however subtle it may be. When you're talking, know you're talking. Just just quietly be aware, I'm speaking, right? And remember, you know, why speech is timely, true, gentle, beneficial, and spoken in true friendliness. And any one of those things you can use as a guide as you're, as you're sharing. Pay attention to any sense of urge or pressure or ease that you're feeling as you're speaking or thinking about speaking. A lot of times our, you know, our speech is motivated by emotional energy, right? And if it's motivated by the emotional energy of greed or hatred, those will have very strong feelings in your body. And if you feel that strongness, check in. If you feel an urge, pause check in and notice to help you kind of reground and find that your feet, right? Find your feet. When you're listening, here's a quote from Roy T. Bennett. Listen with curiosity, right? The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with the intent to reply. We listen for what's behind the words. 
So those of you who aren't speaking, you have a very important job, right? Very important job to be listening, to noticing what's coming up for you. So I'll go into the listener's job. When you're listening, you know you're listening. Just this light awareness, you know, I'm paying attention, right? Notice your body. Notice what's happening. Notice if you start to feel an emotional urge, ag- agitation, or ease. And then just try and relax. Take a breath. Just invite your body to sort of, okay, it's all right. We're, we're just receiving. We're just, we're just listening for what's behind these words. Just listening and receiving. As you're um, paying attention to the speaker's tone of voice and the content of what they say, just notice how present you are. How present can you be, right? And, and um, you know, just notice the content. Notice what the impact. And here's a beautiful kind of thing that Thich Nhat Hanh says. Um, let's see. <laughs> So he has he has this book called Fear Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. And he has these things he calls um mantras for offering your presence and then a mantra for recognizing your beloved and whatnot. So the mantra for offering your presence is dear one, I'm here for you. Dear one, I'm here for you. So that as a listener, can you just really take that in? Sort of see if you can't feel into, okay, dear one, I'm here for you. I'm listening for you, right? Okay, so was that clear? Are those instructions clear? Do you feel ready? I see David nodding his head. That's great. (laughs) All right. Each person that is in the group should speak. Just do a monologue for for you guys need to time this on your own, okay, in your groups. So please pick a, a person to pay attention to time. S- depending on how many there are in your group, if it's a group of three, three minutes each. Speak solidly three minutes. You're just practicing mindful speaking. It can be a lot of silence, a lot of waiting, not talking, right? But, you know, practice with mindfulness of speech for three minutes, one at a time. If it's four of you, you might cut it to two and a half minutes per person. And then after each of you have the time to practice the mindful speaking, just open it up and continue to practice mindful speaking and listening in an interactive way, right? And I really encourage you to limit how much you say, not too many sentences. Once you start to talk too much as you're feeding, you know, going back and forth, it's really easy to get, lost in the thoughts and not be as um, lost in um, your thinking. So Deborah says, what is the task? You get the process. Okay, let's see. Um, I think that, you know, what I think would be really nice is um, why don't you just have the, the topic be spiritual friendship? Why don't you use wise speech to talk about the value, the impact of, of spiritual friendship. Is that, is that an acceptable task for all of you? Hopefully it's one you look forward to. 
Welcome back, mindful speakers. <laughs> and listeners, right? Both. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're letting everybody, you know, come in, I'll just sort of invite you to notice what you're feeling in your bodies right now. Noticing what the impact of sharing a space where you were mindfully speaking and listening. What was different about that experience? And how might that be supportive for you? How might there be something there for you to continue to reflect on or practice with? Is everybody back, Chris, as far as you can tell? Um, it, they should be. It's a smaller group, but I think it's over. Okay, great. So we have a few minutes to receive. Um, I'd love to hear from at least a couple of people um, what that was like, what you noticed. could be very simple. Any takeaways or questions that you have, and then we'll open it up to more general questions before we close for today. So Laura, you have your hand up. Would you like to share? Yes, thank you. Um, I really wanted to just appreciate this name and appreciate the, the things that you brought in about being present to the impact, which is the next present moment. I just love the way you frame that. I hadn't heard it quite like that. And that felt so um, like uh, settling to hear named in the space. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really, really value that. And then um, two with the, why am I not speaking being part of this practice? Um, it, I just feel, I felt my whole body sort of, I didn't know, but it, you know, whatever I was holding, but I felt a lot more ease coming in just to know that that's being integrated into this practice in this Sangha. Um, and I, I, I endeavor to, um, for, to, to really hold, hold that and sit with that even more this month from you naming it, even though it might've been an intention before. I think that's really great. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate that. Nancy, you have your hand up. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say it was a very uh, tender experience, I think for me. Um, you know, there's something really beautiful about uh, speaking in honesty to one another about your fears and your, um, you know, just your vulnerability in the moment. And um, I think it makes you closer. Uh, it's just an intimacy. You know, even though we're on Zoom, it's sort of a very intimate experience. And uh, I really thank my... Uh, my breakout group for that. Beautiful. It was nice. Uh, you know, a lot of times um, people will come back a little early from their breakout groups and that didn't happen today. So it was nice. Um, it, it was a sign to me that you were sort of appreciating and utilizing and maybe, maybe it was helpful to have more guidelines around how to use mindful speech. So 
Um, and it just speaks also to me to the wisdom that Chris had in sort of waiting to send out the emails until we kind of got to this point in the program, right? To really encourage you all to use this and, and as you build and connect and create um, spiritual community with each other. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Susan has got her hand raised, her real hand raised. Susan Black. Okay. So first, I I love both my breakout groups. I thought it was just lovely. I agree. The intimacy was nice, really nice. Um, But I want to tell you a quick story that I thought was interesting. I was late coming on, and my 17-year-old and I were engaging in some wrongful speech. And uh, I came, and I sat down to meditate, and Chris was going through the meditation, and I was very angry. And so midway through, I, my eyes burst open and I'm like, I, I can't do this, do you know? And I, I did what I know to do, which is to welcome it and to sit and to feel it. And then this beautiful thing happened uh, where I thought, where, where's the right speech? Like, w- you know, at what point was wrongful speech coming? Why? The investigation happened and immediately it was because I was angry. I was angry. She had said something and I wanted to hurt back and I'd gotten hurt. It was so, it was, you know, a knot and it just unraveled. And then I was just really skillfully and beautifully able to uh, take these every step I took a little more rights, you know, a little more, a little more until the point where we were communicating and that freedom that we we're talking about just I, the minute it occurred to me, I know it sounds simple, but it was, it was, I guess what I'm trying to say is less is more, you know, it's not, it doesn't always have to be, it, you know, some great realization. And now I'm going to speak right for the rest of my, you know, it was like so utilized in that moment and so helpful to say what happened and then put it to work, you know? So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. David, do you want to take the next question? Oh, um, I don't know what it is yet, but I know that Alana has still had her hand up from the first Q and A and she may not have the same question, but I would like to make sure I recognize that. Uh, Alana, are you still, do you still have a question you want to share? Um, it's a different question and I was debating whether or not I should ask it, but since you brought it up, um, here I am and I'll ask, um, (laughs) something that I was noticing and well, first I just want to say, I I appreciate everything that's been shared so far. I've already learned so much and I really appreciate Tanya for you mentioning the, the waint, (laughs) Um, that referred to my first question, and I felt like you addressed that really beautifully. So thank you. Mm. Um, in the breakout groups, um, many different things came up, which were really um, wonderful and heart opening. Something I noticed that came up for me was fear um, of intimacy (laughs) the the intimacy that comes from really being present and receiving all of what someone is offering in that moment 
the intimacy of also offering oneself. Um, And so I'm wondering if you have anything to share on that. Um, Maybe I'll say, and David, you can respond, but I, you know, this book by Thich Nhat Hanh, um, the title is Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storms. And it's really um, uh, got a lot of, you know, really, he really talks about um, these essential fears and anxieties that come up for us. So it might be, it might be a, a place to look. Um, so I'll say that because that was a reference that I was sort of using for the talk. David, do you want to respond further? Well, yeah, I, I'm kind of, I'm glad uh, we went back and I, I didn't mean to, I didn't realize you'd taken the hand back down, but yeah, what a beautiful question and really appreciate your sharing it. And it's really quite fitting, I think, for as we start to move toward closing a little bit, just the recognition that um, this is a really intimate practice. It's intimate with ourselves. And then it brings us into really intimate exchange with other people and that vulnerability that we start to feel. And in this practice, we step into that. There's a lot of letting go there. It's a lot of letting go of things that might usually concern us, of our sense of defending certain self, you know, what we think is seen by others and what we want to have seen by others and how what we feel deeply about who we are and what we want and what we don't want. So I think I think you're you really beautifully, Alana, sort of evoke <clears throat> the heart of the practice, you know, and the way in this particular meeting today, the way <clears throat> wise speech is just one, one of eight in this case, you know in this particular Eightfold Path exploration, one of eight ways to just get some insight on that, on the suffering and the freedom that come with the, the suffering that invites us in and the freedom that comes with, with the practice. So I, I really appreciate your words. I can't say it more beautifully than that. It was really lovely. How does that feel, Alana? How do you feel? It's um, a good question. I feel a lot of things, but I feel real. I feel heard, and I feel um, really appreciative of the reminder of the the depth and the nuance of letting go that this practice uh, calls us to to look at. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Chris, do you want to take Greg's question? Okay, certainly invite Greg to ask his question. We'll see. Thanks, that. everyone. Um, that's right. You can't take it till I put it out there. Um, I, first, I just want to say thanks um, to everyone for being here and, and to the three of you for facilitating. You know, I felt in the first couple Path Factor meetings that the breakouts were um, necessary but uncomfortable, but I, today they, they felt very natural and, and helpful. So I just want to you know, thank you for making those part of the program. Um, you know, we, we talked in our group a bit about about that notion of, of intimacy. We, we all said, I don't actually know what spiritual friendship means, what is meant by that. And, and so we talked about things like um, communities of, of like-minded individuals and, and being on a path together. Um, and so, you know, maybe building a little bit on the, on the last question, um, you know, when we when I think about how to practice this notion of of right speech and of listening in the moment and really being you know there for someone um 
you know, I, I, one of the things that came up for me was, uh, and, and David mentioned it a little bit um, in, in the concept of like, what's the voice in my head when I, when I'm trying to get back to the breath, um, how does the concept of right speech towards oneself unfold? Yeah, great question. Hmm. I think that really calls on all all of the aspects of the practice to really some combination of compassion and wisdom ultimately that and understanding that this is a phenomenon that's it's a conditioned phenomenon the voices are the voices in our heads are so many and from so many sources so as David said, where, where is the source of this voice? What is the tone of this voice? Is this something that, that I would say to someone else? I've often asked myself, would I, would I, would I speak this way to someone else? <laughs> and sort of understanding that these voices represent all these little impulses and reactions and histories of our little impulses and reactions and, and becoming at ease with these phenomenon that rise up that are unpleasant, but they aren't necessarily things that we need to listen to or obey or believe or jump on the train with. And, and it's, it's, it's a long practice understanding how we relate to our own experience. And that's a huge foundation for being able to wisely relate to other people's experience. So it's well worth giving a lot of, a lot of attention to. Anything to add, you two? Well, I just, I think I want to say that, um, well, we've got, I see Deborah, you have your hand raised, so I'm holding that, just so you know. Um, but I actually think this is an area where um, we can, we can kind of work to find and support and build inner voices that are ones of wisdom and compassion, and some of us may not have had very much of that as children. So we may not have a readily available sense of inner compassion or kindness because maybe we got a lot of harshness, right? Maybe our parents thought that it was going to make us stronger if they were more critical, kept telling us the right thing to do. <laughs> but you can, you can take from examples, you know, that idea that we're, there's a, a trace left in us from what was communicated to us both directly as well as what we witness, what we see around us. So, you know, just like inviting you to, to, to listen to Gil's talks and, and he's got such a gentle way. Right. And, and just sort of like, how would Gil say this? How would Gil say this? You know, just is an example of a way to help you find into, into that space. It's there, you know it, right? Yeah. All right. So. Can I say one thing real quickly? Mm -hmm. um, just that all teachers also speak unwisely and it's useful to watch how they, what they do in the next moment. And uh, what I've noticed time and time again is upon the recognition that, the speech wasn't wise or that it caused harm is, and this Gil says, this is, then you respond to that moment. And then you respond to the next moment. We get caught up in our, the imagined past just as easily as the projected future and keeping it right here is, uh, you know, 
that's where the path unfolds. Jade, would you like to make a comment or ask a question? Deborah is also, is she waiting? Maybe not. I think she took her hand down, so. I wanted to ask if you might share a little bit more about, you know, it's not part of the eightfold path necessarily, but right listening. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, that's a pretty big hindrance to right speech. Um, all the triggers and the responses and ego and um, emotional waves that happen, like the other teacher things rising and falling. It's so distracting Mm -hmm. That if if you if I my in my experience if I wait till my breath is calm and I feel all the planets have aligned I would never speak. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if you have any more suggestions for that. Hmm. I also have a bad memory. I'm always worried I forget by the time it's my turn to speak. So also part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm happy to respond, but Chris or David, do either of you have anything that comes forward for you? Nope. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I, what what I'm impressed by is, Jade, that I hear a lot of inner listening happening to your own inner reactivity, right? You were able to name a lot of different things that you notice when you're listening, right? So that's beautiful. Just that's, that's beautiful. And I think probably the more we start to pay attention to what's happening when we're listening, the more of us would be saying what you're saying, right? It, and it's the natural thing what happens is that words come in and then they, our brain is an association machine and it's going to go in there and connect with this and that and the other thing. And it's like, Ooh, pretty soon, you know, if you could show a cartoon of it, there'd be like a film strip behind film strip behind film strip of all these things that are getting brought in. And so sometimes it's just sort of watching all of this with amazement and not taking it too personally. Right. Like this is what the mind does. Right. It makes associations. And and, um, you know, so hopefully there's some, you know, gentleness for yourself as you witness this, you know, collage of response, responsiveness, you know. And. Maybe you could watch what it is, you know, you said you forget a lot. Maybe that's okay. So maybe if you gave gave yourself a permission, a pass on that one, it would re help you relax a little bit as you're listening and not be so worried about what you saying the right thing or remembering what somebody said. Just just show up in the next moment. Whatever is there is there. I would just I would just like to bring back the concept of embodiment and being in touch with your body because when we get caught up in that network that Tanya just described we lose touch with what is our with our hearts and our our groundedness and so you know practicing checking in with your embodiment
while listening. Yeah. It's very helpful. Wow. So I'm just noticing it's actually 331. Jade, I hope this was useful, your, the response that you got. And to everyone who didn't get a chance to speak, thank you for being here and listening. Um, Chris, will you dedicate the merit before we, we sign off? Sure. So may all of the beautiful energy and intentions, learning, reflecting, may all of that, that anything of that that may have come from our afternoon together, may it all be dedicated to the welfare, the happiness, the awakening of ourselves, everyone we meet, and all beings everywhere. I have no bell. Ding. (laughs) Tanya has a bell. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. 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 Thank